Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to another episode of the 2023 Seawee Spotlight. We have a very special one for you today. Thank you, of course, to Seawee for letting us do this again. Uh, today, we have Mr. Steven from the Center for Birds of Prey. And he brought with him a special caracara. Yeah, we were super excited about that. I will tell you that Matt and I both assumed that this was just not going to be a place where he would bring a bird. Matt had his back to the studio door, and I saw Steven approaching with a box, and I was like, oh, he's got a box. And we were like little kids for the whole hour and some change that, uh, that he was in here. So you don't want to miss this one. If you like birds of prey, if you like raptors, if you like conservation, this is a fantastic uh, episode. Enjoy. All right. Well, welcome, Stephen. We have Stephen here from the Birds uh, Birds of Prey. He's the director for the Center of Birds of Prey and VP of the Avian Conservation Center. Did I get that right? That's as correct as it can be. Well, welcome. Perfect. Welcome to the Whiskey and Whitetails podcast. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. I want to tell you, first and foremost, the longest argument I've ever had in my life was at Birds of Prey. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I have it recorded if you'd like to see it. Oh, my. Oh, it, it wasn't an argument with me. Oh, no. That's with a, with a barda. Oh, no, the Chaco Owl. He didn't have much to say, huh? He just kept clicking back at me, which I understand is like, screw you. It's generally a, a defense mechanism. It's one of those <laughs> little things that they do to, to scare off the big predator. So yeah. you were you were in his space, and he didn't want you there. I felt bad, but it's like he clicked, so I clicked. And then Andy, my wife, was like, that means you're arguing. <laughs> Don't argue with him. And I was like, but he clicked back. And then he did it. I was like, see? So I was like, he started it. <laughs> he started it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that may not be intuitive, what they're trying to tell you. I'm not a great translator. Right, but, right. But sometimes body language and the sounds that they make can, can be pretty indicative of what they're thinking. And what that, kind of owl was that? That's called a Chaco owl, which is a um, South American bird. Um, we have the barred owl here in mm -hmm. Eastern North America, familiar to the turkey hunters out there. And you know, I see them in the deer woods all the time. That's the barred owl of the Patagonian highlands. I say, okay. So we have um, our educational collection has birds from all over the world that we use to teach with. Some of them are the ones that we would see in South Carolina and others we can relate to, to those ones in South Carolina. That's the barred owl's cousin from, from Chile and Argentina. And I thought it was a barred owl, so yeah. I wasn't far off. You weren't far <laughs> off. And, okay. and, you know, it's an honest mistake that a lot of people make. You got, yeah. you got closer than most people did. A little oh, okay. smaller yeah. than a barred owl. Other than that, pretty much, pretty much the same. It was guy. a little smaller. Yeah. 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 It'd be a teeny bardell. Teeny yeah. bardell. Yeah. A, 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 um, what are they called? Um, juvenile. Well, juvenile. see, there's another <laughs> another common mistake that people make that don't know birds. They think small equals juvenile. Yeah. Not the case with birds. Birds mm -hmm. grow 
in a in an instant. And so, you know, even a, a juvenile barred owl is as big as it's ever going to be. I see. And then, you know, juvenile just means you're not sexually mature yet. You're not ready gotcha. to mate. So sometimes a year or two before you're ready to go. Because I know, like, the juvenile bald eagles are, are – They look the, different. The plumage is different. Right. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of birds have juvenile plumage that you can pick up on pretty easily and, and not with the owls, unfortunately. There's no good way to – unless you know it when it's a hatchling or a fledgling um, – they look the same as juveniles as they do as an adult. Makes sense. Yeah. So I wanted to start with the importance of what you're doing, the importance of birds of prey, the importance of the con- the uh, conservation side of it. Sure. Um, so um, I think it's it's hard to hard to talk about how important your own work is sometimes, but sure. um, we obviously feel that it's important enough that we dedicate our lives to it. Um, the center was started as a rehabilitation facility, so we started in 1991 with this goal of um, helping these animals that we were causing problems for. Birds get hit by cars, and they get tangled in things, and they get shot, and they get poisoned, and all these bad things are happening to them. And prior to that, there wasn't really anyone here in the um, in the area that was doing anything about it. And so our executive director decided he was going to uh, make a shift in his life and start taking care of those injured birds. So we started with a hospital. And um, and obviously that has its benefits for those individual birds that we, you know, that we treat. We give a lot of birds a second chance out there. We're able to, to fix them. Uh, more importantly, though, we learn lessons from all the birds that come into our hospital. So um, we learn about the issues that humans might be causing, and then we can use our educational uh, platform, if you will, to help share those messages with the public. That's what I do. My job is is take the lessons we learn from our hospital and through these cool birds that I get to work with, I can share those messages with the public and hopefully maybe influence behavior in the long run, right? If you don't know that, that your actions are causing a problem, uh, why would you change your actions? But if you know, if somebody tells you, hey, this thing that you're doing is causing problems, um, not just you know, not just problems for these birds, but ultimately maybe problems for human beings, would you change your behavior if you knew? Um, and I'd like to think a lot of people in, in with a lot of these issues we're talking about would make those changes. For sure. And I think that's a kind of a powerful tool that we have. And, you know, we get to work with birds, which, you know, birds are just cool. Yeah. There's so, you know, the things that we can talk about from a conservation platform, you know, it it could be boring talking about bottomland hardwood forest habitat, unless you're a big fan of swamps. But if we brought in the swallow-tailed kite, this charismatic bird that, you know, when you see it, you're just blown away by it. If we bring that in and all of a sudden we can talk about these things that, that, you know, maybe are a little less pleasant to talk about. We report those every time we see them. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. there. You guys are probably more than you know. It's it's the the community of folks that spend time in the bottomland hardwood yeah. forest <laughs> that you know we're looking for and trying to trying to um, get people to report those sightings so that we can protect that habitat. It's, know, it's, it's one of the few birds that like when I see it, I'm like, oh, see if you can get a picture because we've got to tell them where it's at. Where's our grid coordinates? So right. we sit it. It's like <laughs> I get I get like overworked. On we it. get we get overstimulated pretty quickly when we see a swallowtail kite. They're, they're really cool. They're super exciting. They're just they're neat birds all around around you know just beautiful to look at and then cool to see and then endangered in the state of south carolina and declining throughout most of their range they're a good they're a good um example a good sort of point to bring up to talk about the bellwether of the fact that birds many of them aren't doing well and we want to make sure that we hopefully catch the problems before it's too late what's some of the main issues that you're seeing with them specifically well so with the swallowtail kite it's almost all habitat loss they Uh, are a, um, a species that 
200 years ago, you'd find them in 22 states in the U.S. or what would become 22 states. So they were all over the Midwest, all up the Mississippi River Valley, all up in all the swamps, right? Uh, and then you think about in the last 200 years, what's happened? Well, we've destroyed yeah. most of the swampland. It's, it's it was the enemy for a long time. You know, there, there's a hunting community that likes it for, for our, for our hunting spots, but there were people that thought the swamps were hunted, uh, haunted with witches and, and yeah. goblins. And, you know, and so we got to get rid of that. Um, and largely we did. So um, what's left is this tiny little fragment of their historical range in the southeast. So the the real goal now is just learning as much as we can about where they spend their time so that we can protect those critical spots for them. Um, what's fun about people thinking that they were haunted, uh, that's actually a big thing in moonshining back in the day. They would moonshine in swamps because the majority of people were scared of them. Nobody's going in and there. law enforcement yeah. wasn't going in there yeah, either. absolutely yeah. not. That's yeah. perfect. That's, that's the best. Is where I want to hide out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we have like our, uh, our, our, whatever it's called, like your escape bag plan. Like if the world oh, yeah. ends, right? swamp. Find, a, find yeah. a, the deepest swamp that you can find yeah. and go in there. And, uh, and there you'll see swallowtail kites yeah. using that same... Uh, that same habitat, pretty cool. It makes oh, sense. Cool. You want to trade off back and forth on questions? My, uh, this in, we normally do like a run around the mill, but as you know, I right. warned you, I've got. <laughs> you got a long list. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. We can. Um, I'm going to bounce around a little bit because just to keep it. You talked yeah. about we we're talking about owls earlier. Can yep. can you talk a little bit about what allows an owl to fly so quietly? Because there's been plenty of times I'm sitting in the deer woods and one flies oh, yeah. right in front of my face. It's one of the best places to see a deer is yeah. in the deer stand. I had a, in out in Montana hunting deer in Bozeman and had a great horned owl that I almost wet my pants because he was on the top of the stand I was in. He hooted and I didn't know he was there. Um, so they've got some adaptations built into their body. The, okay. the two major ones are related to feathers. And so the outer coat of, of an owl, if you looked at it through a microscope, is going to look like fluff, a lot fluffier. Okay. So there's sort of a, a microscopic fluff on all of their feathers that acts like sound dampening foam, if you will. Um, and then the leading edges of their flight feathers are serrated like a comb. So instead of the, the you know, a hawk or an eagle or a falcon, they've got real smooth edges on their feathers. And when you whip a smooth edge through the air, it makes a whooshing sound. Right. The serrated edge, when you whip that through the air, the air goes through the serrations rather than around and it's quieter. So uh, it comes at a sacrifice to the owl. That's something that, you know, you always have to remember these, these adaptations are, are great for, for one thing. And then they can make another thing a challenge. Owls are not high speed, long distance, efficient flyers, um, largely because they've got these tools for being quiet. Most right. owls stay in the same place year round, so they don't need to be long distance efficient flyers. They just need to be quiet so they can sneak up on the mouse or the rat or what, whatever it is that they're hunting. What, uh, what usually brings an owl to you guys? So in terms of our medical facility, uh, it's almost always car collision. Is it? Um, okay. You know, the, Owls, um, the barred owl is our most common patient in our hospital. Right um, nowadays, we're treating around a thousand birds a year in our hospital, and wow. the, and the number one patient is the barred owl. We deal with a lot of them, um, and again, car collision. So for a couple of reasons, the the uh, when you see an owl fly, um, they tend to fly low to the ground, below the tree canopy. And they may just be crossing the road. They may be hunting by the road, but they're low flying over roadways. Yeah. The other part that a lot of people um, don't think about that's kind of hard to, to fix is that those roads may have been built 
you know, 50, 75, 100 years ago mm-hmm. before we had good sound practices in terms of leaving habitats intact, right? It sure. might have just been a matter of, you know, zigging around the, the corner of the swamp where the barred owls live rather than cutting right through the corner of the swamp. Um, and, and if we think about it that way, well, in the future, hopefully we'll do better in terms of development and, and leaving some of these parcels of habitat intact. But car collisions, number one, um, we deal with a lot of barred owls that come in entangled in things. We get them tangled in soccer nets and fishing lines oh, wow. and, and you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I would probably point out rodenticide poisoning. That's a, a big issue we see with owls. Uh, nobody likes rats in their home landscape, but um, one of the things we can avoid doing is using those those rat poisons, uh, decon and the like. They cause they cause problems for wildlife um, because those animals that eat the poison just get weak and wander out into the into the woods right what's going to happen to a weak rat in the woods is going to get eaten by an owl or a coyote or a fox or a bobcat or any number of of things are going to eat it and that poison is deadly to them so we see um, too much of that we see too much poisoning we see too much um, car collision we see gunshot believe it or not still it's one of those things this year already this is something as a as a hunter right i grew up in the woods in south carolina I, i have a I have a hunting ethic that was instilled in me by my my father, and it's almost incomprehensible to me that anybody would shoot a a bird that wasn't on the list of birds that it's okay to shoot, right? You're going to go hunting for turkey, shoot a turkey. You're going to go hunting for dove, shoot a dove. For sure. Uh, You're not going to mistake a a barred owl or a great horned owl or a red-tailed hawk or a turkey vulture or whatever. We've already had 10 um, this calendar year, 10 gunshot birds, and it's February, um, the middle of February right now. That's too many, right? And that's just... It's it's a hard one again because it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, right? You know, you you I guess maybe people are bored. I guess maybe people don't understand the rules. I guess maybe people don't have as good an appreciation for the wildlife as they could. Sure. Um, uh, That's tough because I can't like I you know hunting waterfowl, hunting turkey like. It, you don't you don't mistake You're an not owl mistake. from a no, no that's no. <laughs> there's no there, there's no similarities at all so no no and and you know mistakes are people make mistakes right everyone's sure. made a mistake um, and in, in a very few instances I could I could see maybe somebody mistaking an American kestrel which is our smallest little falcon for a morning dove they're kind of morning dove shaped and they're kind sure. of morning dove size and we might see them over a dove field. Um, but this is turkey vultures and yeah. bald eagles yeah. and the like that we're seeing. It's not a mistake. It's not mistaken identity. Um, it's, I think, largely just a, an appreciation factor that we have to we're, – we're working with a group of animals that historically – um, weren't as well liked as they are today, right? You were For saying sure. your wife is super excited about birds of prey, and 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 that's great. You know, fifty years ago though, everybody was kill all the hawks, kill all the yeah. kill all the bald eagles, and you know, we looked at predators differently than than we do today. Um, I think, um, but it takes time for, for attitudes to change. I think a lot of it too is misunderstanding. It's like because some of the stuff that I tell about birds, people because you've been just been raised. Like, I don't want to go down this hill, but, you know, the bald eagle screech in, right. in movies, like, right. that's actually a red-tailed hawk. That's right. not a bald eagle. But it's like you tell people that, and they don't believe you because their whole life they've been right. told. <laughs> but one of the things we see as hunters is people are like, oh, I killed a deer, and I'm out tracking it, and I start looking for vultures. And it's like one of the questions we had was explain why carrion birds are so important and also why they aren't circling dead animals. Right. Everybody thinks that's what they're doing, but that's not it. Right. So you look for vultures and you might find that deer that, that somebody killed a month ago or right. three yeah. weeks ago, but you're not going to find the one that you're tracking that you just shot 
Um, they don't circle dying animals. They do when they're circling. Usually what they're doing is riding hot air and gaining right. altitude. They're soaring. They're trying to gain a better vantage point to look. They may be honing in on a, on a smell. They can certainly smell decaying matter and they come to it. Um, vultures are critical there. We could spend the whole time we have talking about how important they are. Uh, and, um, as, as you visited the center, you probably heard that, that worldwide vultures aren't doing very well. Right. Um, we're not in a good time for vultures on planet earth. And, and the places that are seeing vultures decline to extinction are seeing other scavengers come in and replace them, right? Vultures are scavengers. They're great at it, but they're not the only ones that eat dead stuff. There's, you know, large numbers of other animals out there looking to eat that same dead stuff. Scavengers are everywhere. Sure. Right? And so what happened in the places where their vultures declined is that other scavengers filled in pretty quickly. It's nature is good at, you know, finding an opening and filling it. And those other scavengers are generally things like dogs and rats. Um, your choice, a vulture sure. yeah. or dogs and rats. And I think that's a pretty easy choice. Um, we see um, this is something to bring up to the hunting community, again, as a hunter myself and a, a fisherman myself. One of the problems we see with our scavengers, um, so the vultures and the eagles, is lead toxicity. It's something that um, we need to be aware of, right? Lead, sure. lead ammunition, lead fishing tackle, it ends up out there in the environment. If it ends up out there in the environment and gets consumed by an animal, so if I shoot a whitetail with a, a 30 out six with a lead bullet, I'm going to leave fragments of that lead in the carcass. If I field dress it and leave the, the gut pile behind, a scavenger eats that gut pile and eats that lead, that lead accumulates in their body, that lead causes neurological damage, ultimately can cause death, right? right. Um, and we see it in way too many, way too many of our, our eagles and vultures come in with lead poisoning. Uh, all it takes is a little bit of lead ingested. Um, so what's the solution? Well, you know, if, if, if I knew, if I knew that this was a problem that I was causing, maybe I'd look for the non-lead ammunition and the non-lead fishing tackle. Yeah. Maybe I'd be more careful yeah. burying my gut pile if I knew that I didn't want scavengers to eat it because I don't want them to get sick and die. Um, I, I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I, I want vultures to die. No. Um, especially given a little bit of information about how important they are. Um, and it's you know, a little thing. A lot um, of people think they're gross, but they're actually very clean. Yeah, they're really cool too. They're, they're, um, I wish that I could give people, everybody a personal experience with a vulture because it's really, they're the smartest birds we work with by far. They're social. They're really clean. They're really beautiful too. If you give them a, a minute, you know, if you look at them closely, they've got a lot of iridescence in their plumage. Or, uh, they're cool, cool birds. They just get a bad rap sure. because I guess we got to find the bad guy somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's always, you know, somebody's got to be the one we don't like. Um, I think most people that know vultures really well really like them. You know, yeah. the, it's the one constant I've seen, like, anytime I've seen uh, your program at, at Siwi or, or, or anywhere else, is you guys are always very passionate about vultures. And I'm guessing it's not, not only because they are such cool animals, but because you feel an obligation to make sure everybody else understands that these are not the nasty, you know, Death, they're not rats. Death they're not rats right. in the death sky. focused scavengers <laughs> right. that you know a Hollywood movie makes it seem right. to be. You know they're they're, they're, they're cool animals. They're really cool and they're really important. And you know rats are really cool and really important too. They've got their place. Sure. And and <clears throat> and we want to make sure that we're we're not. You know I don't want to diss the rat to make right, it, right, make right, money. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want. <laughs> 
the rats to be overabundant because we didn't have enough vultures and and we couldn't keep things in a balance. It's all about a balance, right? We, you know, if you don't have a good balance, you you end up with things that are less than pleasant for us as humans, right? And ultimately, what's all this work that we do about? You know, it's really about people. It's really about what can we learn from these birds that we can use to make sure that we keep the planet healthy for us. So that yeah, you know, that birds are really great. Um, sort of sentinels, warning signs. If things are not going well for birds, it's chances are something that could cause a big problem for us, and we want to make sure that, that we catch those problems early and address them. So, I think every vulture in Charleston lives behind that barbecue place on Folly Road. <laughs> Our gym's right there, and it's behind like Melvin's gym, yeah, yeah, yeah. on, on that Road. cell phone tower. Yeah, Have you ever seen? A lot. I, yeah, I live on James Island. Yeah, so, so, so do I. Um, it's a it's. There are a few spots where I think all of Charleston's vultures live. <laughs> it's um, crazy to watch them because we get there kind of right at dusk, you know, right? going to the gym, and it's just the sky's filled with they vultures, and they all yeah. land right there on that cell phone tower. They love a cell phone tower. It's one of those things, too, that not to not to say everything about vultures is great, right? If you get too many vultures on a cell phone tower, it can cause problems. And we that's one of the things that we want to be for the community. We want to be a resource. Um, to help minimize those human-bird negative interactions. You know, there are ways to keep vultures from roosting on cell towers, but, you know, it can be tough. And, mm -hmm. and as long as they're not causing problems, we want to look at it and say, you know, how can we share the space as best we can? Um, so you said the vulture was the smartest bird you work with. Is it your favorite? <sighs> so... It's one of my favorites. Okay. It's hard to pick. It's <laughs> yeah. hard to pick favorites. Can't pick your favorite um, kid. It is it's a little bit, a little bit like that. I think if I had to pick a group of birds that I really liked, it'd be the kites. I've been, I've oh, been yeah. a big fan of kites my whole life, and the swallowtail kite is just one. I, I grew up on James Island and, and had a pair of Mississippi kites nesting in my backyard, awesome. and it was one of those moments where, oh wow, you know, got to watch the whole process, and the chicks ended up when they were young, they were on the ground feeding on insects, and we got to watch the whole thing right That's there cool. in our yard, and and they're really neat birds they migrate to brazil so they fly to south america every fall and they turn around and they come back to south carolina in the spring um they're i think kites in general are, are probably my favorites well, um, one more james Allen thing yeah. so when you get on the connector this <laughs> yep. the um, there's two osprey right there yeah, well before the, the there's broad-shouldered hawks that sit there all the time Right. Red shoulder talks. Red when shoulder talks. When you get yes. on the oh, so from Folly Road. Yeah, yeah. So if, right when you get on the connector, I see. I don't drive that much as much anymore as I do the Harborview. I get off Harborview, but um, the there are red-tailed and red-shouldered hawks along that Lowe's yes. kind of corridor. I there. think I called. I think the ones that we named, we named one Dios de los Muertos because he's <laughs> always just like waiting to savage. kill. Savage. He's. Yeah. Just, I mean, we see him all the time. Just he'll come off a light pole, scoop up and like oh, super. Incredible accuracy. Yeah. Which uh, I don't know how accurate. I don't know the level of accuracy in bird and birds of prey, but I know they're not that accurate. I mean, they don't catch every time. Yeah. It's not. You know, I don't know how much of that's accuracy and how much of that skill. You know, they build skill throughout their life to get better at hunting, just like anybody does. They're, makes they're building that skill. Yeah. Um, but there's plenty of marsh rats around there for those guys. And then there's the pair of osprey that are yep. that are at the the next the nest at the harbor view, and yep. they showed up. It's one of those Early. things you, go, you you can almost set your watch. Valentine's Day is when I expect Osprey to be back on the nest. And those birds, it was probably two weeks ago yeah, they I showed up early. for the first time. So they were a couple weeks early, perhaps. Maybe they didn't go all the way to South America this year. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe they just wintered in Florida. I don't know. And so the eagles leave around the same time? Do they like high-five each other on the way out? So eagles are backwards, right? Eagles are um, – 
winter they're winter residents for us so we get them kind of october through march april so okay. the eagles are still here their chicks are starting to fledge now um yeah i, was and, say, I have a, a, a mating pair that lives uh, not far from my house i saw them out flying around yesterday nice. and then they will there's another pair there's a um an osprey that will come fish in the pond behind my house, which right. is fun. I can sit there with a beer and watch him. They're just awesome to watch. Miss a few times, and then sure as shit, he'll pull out a bass. And, you know, I just spent an hour and caught two perch. And just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going inside. I'm done. They'll outfish you every time. Every yeah, single time. That's, uh, it's interesting. The osprey are such kind of cool and strange birds. They're, they're the only bird of prey that goes into the water to catch fish, which is pretty awesome. Um, and they're one that historically people haven't utilized in falconry. Falconry, where you hunt with the trained bird of prey, um, is pretty cool stuff. And there's actually a guy in Georgia um, who, over the last three years, has started hunting with osprey. He, really? he has, actually catches fish out of ponds in his yard with a trained osprey, wow. which is, I've, I've never seen it done before. Osprey is yeah. my wife's favorite bird. That's the, we're tattoo people, obviously. And the osprey is the, is the tattoo she got. It's, nice. Uh, but we, we see them over cause I live in, um, I don't know what I'm saying. I live closer <laughs> to Folly Road. <laughs> right. And so there's a lake there, right. a saltwater lake. And, um, they, we see them over that lake all the time. So, but you can hear them screaming oh, and yeah. we just go out in the backyard and look up. They're fantastic birds. They're great birds. They're so cool. I love the way they land, I love the way they can take out of the water. I, a lot of people don't know they only eat fish. It's like yep. there's so much fascinating things about. They them. have a smell. This is something you'll have to you'll have to um, come and visit when we have an osprey that that you can sniff. Because Absolutely, I could walk into a room and know if there had been an osprey in there. They have a very particular really? sort of musky smell. It's, it's certainly not a bad smell, but it's, just, it's osprey. Um, really, and even just a feather from an osprey. We actually had one the other day that um, we didn't know what kind of feather it was because it looked kind of like a red-shouldered hawk feather. Had the same pattern on it, but the smell was. 100% osprey. Is it fishy? It's not fishy, although you could make it fishy if yeah. you if you were really dissecting it. It'd be interesting to get somebody who's a, a whiskey aficionado that, yeah. that's sniffing stuff all the time for those <laughs> little it. those little notes to, to sniff an osprey and, and say, here's what I smell. Let's make it a thing. Um, like yeah, uh, bird should. feathers for conservation. We'll do we a whiskey should. and bird feather pairing. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's something that most people wouldn't know because most people would never be that close to an osprey. Sure, yeah, it's sure. one of those little things that when you work with these birds, Perks you get the to do right. Perks <laughs> of the job, you get to be in the same space as an osprey. The um, the you mentioned a few times the wing colors on these, and I wanted to get some insight on the birds' UV wing colors, and maybe kind of what they do. Just anything you could tell. But what I like to always before I have these conversations is explain to people we see Roy G. Biv. Right. So anything over red is infrared. Anything over under violet or over under red is infrared. Anything over violet is ultraviolet, ultraviolet which right. we cannot see with our right. eyeballs. But that's that's a huge part for birds. They can. Well, we know a lot of them can, um, and and the jury's still out there on a lot of others and how they use it. We don't know. It's one of those things that's a mystery. And I always tell people, I get asked a lot, you know, what do they see? And my answer is always, I wish I knew. Right? You've got a way I can get in his head for five minutes <laughs> right. and just see like that because that would be um, game changing to know what they see. Um, we can look at the anatomy of their eye and say, well, they've got a lot of photoreceptors in there, so they're picking up little details, right? That we're probably not seeing and then they have photoreceptors that pick up into the uh, ultraviolet wavelength so they're seeing color beyond what we're seeing and you know how is that important to them it's it's probably critical in yeah. you know in mate identification or species identification um, there have been theories over time one that i've i've recently read has been disproved but kind of a cool story um, 
in case it it's, is still true. Yeah. It used, used to be a, a, a tale we told as bird educators, the, the kestrels, the American kestrel and the Eurasian kestrel, little small falcons, they hunt a lot of voles, and they have really well-developed ultraviolet vision in, in certain wavelengths. Certain wavelengths that line up really well with the wavelengths of ultraviolet light that are reflected and absorbed by vole urine. So there was a theory that these kestrels were using pea trails to set up hunting uh, right. hunting territories, right? So they're not just using their eyes to see the moving animal, but they can see where the moving animal was last, last night or, you know, however it might be to, to set up where they're going to hunt today. Yeah, How did they disprove that? Ah, that's a really great question. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. It must've been a behavioral study of some kind. Yeah. You know, the, I, there was a, there was a jump somewhere between they can see ultraviolet light and they're using ultraviolet light to look at voyeur and, yeah. um, and hmm. how, how that jump got erased. I could I see know. that connection. That's why I'm yeah, like, it, they, it, it makes intuitive sense. Yes. Right. And, and, you know, for someone like myself, I'm, I'm a science communicator. That's what I do. I, I talk about science. I'm not a, a research scientist. I'm not a statistician. I don't, I'm not out there collecting a whole lot of data. There are people that are, that are doing this work and, and, you know, what they proved or disproved. Uh, I'm not certain. It's right. a fun story though. I like the story and yeah. it makes sense. I would keep telling it. Right. right. As long as I, as long as I uh, qualify it with the, it's been disproven or maybe it has, who knows. So for the eyesight, you, uh, we don't know how they see, but their eyesight is... Their eyesight is amazing, right? They have huge eyes, yes. first off, right? Giant in proportion to their body. And they have really loaded um, photoreceptors in their eyes. So 10 times as many rods and cones as you have. So what does that mean? Well, I don't know. I'm not in his eyes. But I can presume that it means that he's got significantly more acute vision than I do. Um, and seeing in those other wavelengths of light as well, pretty cool. That's um. What, what, is there a bird that you can think has the best eyesight? And everybody talks about eagle eyes. Yeah. And and <laughs> and, and best eyesight would really just be, uh, it's pretty objective, right? Or pretty subjective. Um, what what does best eyesight mean? Best eyesight in the dark is an owl. Owls see really well yeah. under very low light conditions. Nobody's going to argue with that. Best eyesight. Uh, during the day, well, who's got the biggest eye? And, and that would be like the eagles and, and those bigger birds. Um, but proportionally, they've all got pretty big eyes. They can see things miles away, details that we don't see. Just, yeah. you know. Can they zoom like a, like a rifle scope? So they're not zooming necessarily, although there is evidence that certain parts of their eye are focusing on light in different ways. So all the light in our eye focuses on one fovea in the back of our eye. Birds have fovea on the sides of their eye and so they can when you That's see birds moving their heads when they're moving yeah, their heads right. around like that they're probably focusing light on other parts of the eye so, so i watched the other day a, a red-tailed hawk sat on the back of a, a high fence that was uh around a, like a like a little power substation right and it was just sitting there looking straight down at a, a high grass area and it was just just occasionally just kind of tilting right. his head just making adjustments and then eventually it just sort of leaned over and just sort of pop, hopped down and stayed down there for a while. I found it. I assume he got himself some dinner, but they're, yeah, they're fun to watch. It's pretty man. amazing. I, I watched a video of a falcon of a kestrel, like we were talking about a minute ago. They can hover. And when they're hovering, you might imagine that's flapping your wings and staying motionless in the air, but your body's moving a lot. Mm -hmm. And when they're sure. hovering, what they're doing is they're looking at the prey on the ground or looking for the prey on the ground and waiting for it to be in the perfect um moment to dive down and catch it they can't have their head moving around like their wings are and their head stays perfectly fixed on what they're looking at perfectly still while their body is moving you know just with amazing force and wing flapping so That's one of my favorite birds is the kingfisher oh, and yeah. for the same reason because there's one 
right by where I live, there's one that hunts this little watered marsh area, and he's always out there. But one day I was driving back from Folly Road, and he was sitting on the railing of the bridge on the Folly Bridge. Yeah. And he's a lot bigger than I thought he was because I don't ever see him up close. Right. But I always thought they were like tiny little Tweety birds, but he's actually oh, pretty good size. They're like almost crow size. They're yeah, um, and really cool birds. It's fascinating bird. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. they're beautiful. The, the mohawk. I mean, yeah. everything about them. I they're, just absolutely love. They're fun. They're kind of a winter bird for us. We see them. We don't. I don't know that they breed in the coastal plain, but they're certainly a a bird that fishermen are are fond of seeing. Oh, I, always, yeah. I always like seeing a kingfisher. It tells me I'm in a spot where there's that's, that's at right. least <laughs> food for a kingfisher. Which, yeah. Uh, if we know. had frigate birds here, it'd be kind of the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Those uh, are wild, too. There's like three months they can go without landing or something. Oh, yeah. And, it's nuts. And wicked thieves, the frigate yeah. bird. They're like the ultimate stealer of the of the bird world. Yeah. Um, I've seen them in Mexico, and they're, they occasionally make it up here. We get one blown off course from a a storm periodically to South Carolina. I saw it in Venice, Louisiana, oh, fishing yeah. capital of the world, they yep. say. Yeah. We were out there in the Gulf and saw one, and it's like, I've always seen them. Like, we have friends, uh, Graham, that owns Frigate Reserve Rum, and, and, like, they named it Frigate Reserve Rum after the bird because the of birds, yeah. how cool, what it means to a mariner. Right. It's yep. a bottle behind you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Very cool. So I had a question about Harris hawks. Yeah. So they so sometimes they work in packs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm guessing in falconry, does it make it easier to work with them in multiples because they're used to that in the, in the real it's world? Certainly. Um, so um, Harris hawks are sometimes the, the lions or the wolves of the sky. They hunt in these family groups, and it's one of the things I think that makes them really. Um, popular, likable for falconry or for education work like what we do. Harris Hawks are a big part of our flight demonstration programs. They're um, they're amenable to being trained, and you can fly more than one at once, um, and they will work together. Red-tailed hawks, you fly two at once, or you might only have one left at the end of what you're doing, right? Red-tailed <laughs> hawks, falconers go out and hunt with red-tailed hawks all the time, but you hunt one bird at a time when you're doing that. Um, Harris hawks, you could hunt five or six birds. I know people that hunt with, with cast of five or six Harris hawks for jackrabbits. They're not as big and powerful as a red-tailed hawk, but they're, um, they're certainly... Um, whether I, I I have to attribute it to their social nature, they're just they're more social. They pick up more quickly on the things that we ask them to do, and they kind of more quickly get along with a group of others. Nice, yeah. yeah. I like them a lot. Oh, it's, they're cool uh, birds, and that's one of my favorite demonstrations you guys do. I know everybody likes that one, but the rabbit. Yeah, yeah. people love the rabbit. Yeah, with the kids, so with a, the a kid child and running I, yeah. as a rabbit, and I get to throw all my best jokes out. Yeah. Like, I hope you've enjoyed your life so yep. far and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fun. I love the the like the not bronze. I guess it is kind of bronze rust color they have on their on their shoulders. Yep, they're sometimes yep. called the bay winged hawk. Because okay, of, because of that, I think that's probably a better common name than Harris hawk. Because who the heck was this Harris guy anyway? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bay winged actually tells us a little bit about them. Interesting. Um, that's true. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Speaking cool. of the way they look, why do uh, why do birds look so angry with the <laughs> With the uh, superorbital, um, the, the ridge. superorbital ridge. So the superorbital ridge is a bony protrusion in the skull um, that sticks out over the eye. It's like the bill of a baseball hat, right? And um, why does that make them look angry? I guess big eyebrows make you look angry. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's sort of that stern. Uh, I'm making a stern face for the podcast world. Um, eyes, eyes tilted down. It's a shade device, is at see. least theoretically. You know the creates like a hand above the eye or like the bill of a baseball hat creates some shade for those birds. They're desert hunters um, or a red tailed hawk here in South Carolina has to deal with the sun shining in its face. Um, 
a little bit of shade is helpful. So it's definitely something to do with just light exposure inside the eyes, probably. I, I mean, that's that's everybody's best guess, yeah. right? And and maybe it maybe it makes them look more intimidating. We can't we can't deny that, right? Maybe it's a, a body language thing, but it's not something they can really change. And yeah, maybe. usually body language, I could change it and be intimidating at one moment and not at another. Um, maybe millions of years ago, they were they were not angry looking and then the angry ones took over and then well so <laughs> millions of years ago there were some not angry looking ones and some angry looking ones and the angry looking ones could hunt better in the bright sunlight and so they got to eat more yep. and and, and the ones that get to eat more get to mate more and the ones that get to mate more pass their traits on to their offspring right and so then everybody started having big eyebrows right those way <laughs> yeah. oversimplified yeah but you you're i think you know it makes sense there are probably more than most adaptations come from more than one force right uh, yeah combination of all the things that are acting on us at any given time yeah there's um you can find them on youtube uh, you know all the time uh, usually it's it's different conservation groups or universities you know research but there's one in particular right now and it's uh it's two bald eagles it's a live camera they have set cams, up yeah, yeah on the on the nest and i was i was watching the other day and uh careful you'll get hooked he, well bad. i was it was like it was like a damn soap opera these crows kept bothering them and so like they were in this like battle and so i was wondering if you could explain what what that was about like are the crows trying to get the eggs because because they're nesting right i think so crows are really smart um we talked about vultures being intelligent but crows yeah. are another step crows are like smarter than a lot of people you know they're i believe they're, that um and they're social um and they're not that big um, so the the at least the story that I would tell initially to explain that would be that the crows are doing what we call mobbing. They're trying to scare the eagles away. Okay, and the crow knows that the eagle um, is bigger than it is, and if given the opportunity, and the eagle is hungry, the eagle could eat the crow. Right? If the eagle's hiding somewhere and sneaks up on him, but if the crow sees the eagle, how dangerous is he? I, I know he's there. I'm faster than he is. I'm going to call all my friends. Right? We're all going to scream, and you hear it in the woods all the time. The yeah, crow's yeah. screaming. You know, chances are they found a predator, and they're just trying to, hey, everybody come over here so that we can drive this predator out of here. Um, that way he can't be hiding somewhere and sneak up on us and eat us. It's, okay. It's, uh, Interesting. It happens all up and down the food web. Could the could the crow be wanting to eat the eagle's eggs? It's possible, but I don't know that I don't know that a crow could break through an eagle's eggshell. Yeah. I don't think that it didn't make much sense to me either. But I couldn't think of any other reason other than just general harassment. Personal and safety. It, okay. Right? Think about it that way. The the eagle is not dangerous as long as we can see him. It's better if he flies away. Yeah. Um, so we just, don't want to take just our just eyes trying off to get him. danger out of here. Just get oh. danger out of here. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And it. Again, it happens all up the food web. You want to see owls, listen for crows. You want okay. to see hawks, listen for crows. Go to go to where those crows are screaming, and there's going to be the owl sitting there. Interesting. Um, or the crow or the hawk. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mobbing, it's called. Mobbing. Mobbing. That's yeah. good to know. Makes good sense. You mentioned falconry earlier. Yep. Do you participate in falconry? I am not a falconer. Okay. Um, it's one of those things that um, for 20 years now I've, I've – been taking care of birds and sure. i take care of birds at work all day and i don't want to take care of birds at home um although I, I i i really envy some of the falconers i love to go out with a falconer and hunt it's it's amazing fun to watch these birds do what they do awesome you know and and to have um you know you, you think about hunting in general humans use tools to take animals to take game right we use a bow and arrow or a gun or a, whatever it might be sure um falconry the bird uses the human as the tool to 
to kill the prey, right? Yeah, the human yeah. is, is just beating the bushes to scare the rabbit out, and then the hawk flies in and sure. does all the work. It's it's amazing uh, to watch. And there's so many different forms of it all over the world. I'm really fascinated by it, um, but it is super time-consuming. It's something you have to um, – it's not like you just go take a hunter's training class sure, and sure. buy a firearm or bow and arrow or whatever it might be. Two-year apprenticeship and yeah, yeah. all of these things that go along with it that are – um, a little more than I'm willing to take sure. on. I got kids and, and yeah. I, I try to have a life outside of, of work. And, of and really falconry is one of those, it's like, it's your life. Sure. You, you commit to it. And I know some falconers. Um, we actually just recently hired a falconer to join our, our staff. So we're, Very cool. uh, I'll have somebody to take me out hunting if I nice. ever want to go, which will be fun. Awesome. What's, um, have you ever done so with them integrated with other animals, for instance, horses or ferrets or dogs? I, I have not, but I've seen um, I've seen videos of ferrets and dogs um, working with falconers. Um, one of my coworkers and and a friend of ours who lives here in town, he used to hunt uh, Harris hawks with wire haired dachshunds. Oh, cool! Um, and hunt for rabbits. The dachshunds are great flushers. Yeah, flushers and and, and, um, and the Harris hawks most of the time tend to work well. Um, he's had a few issues with his hawks trying to grab his dogs. And, <laughs> You know, the, these are these are times where the falconer has to be the the referee of the team or the coach of the team or whatever it might be to keep things in line. Yeah, I know in the UK they hunt a lot with ferrets. I know mm-hmm. um, a lot of the the um, falconers over there keep ferrets. I've never seen it done. But can you discipline a bird like, hey, don't do that again? Or they're pretty hard. Yeah, you know, we don't use any discipline in yeah, our yeah. in our work. Um, I, I question, you know. How, how much value we put on discipline over the years with any animal, honestly, yeah. like I, I can Reward remember as a kid. Be better. Oh yeah. I mean, positive reinforcement is so powerful. It is, if you use it right. And if you use it over and over again, um, it's, you know, the birds generally, if you discipline them, you just break any trust that yeah. they had in you. They don't forget very yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, you know, my puppy forgets and, right. And, and you know, might remember no a little better, but it's easier to say yes, and that's all we do. We say yes, do that over and over again. You're going to get what you need. You're going to get rewarded, um, and and uh, and we get good behavior for it. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. If somebody wanted to get into falconry, They'd have to find somebody to apprentice under and all that. Yeah, so here in South Carolina, what I would suggest is somebody that's interested in falconry look to the um, the Falconers Association of there, wherever they are. There's okay. South Carolina Falconers Association. Um, those guys and, and gals can help them find a sponsor. Um, it can be challenging. I know we have a, a member of our volunteer staff at the center who's um, starting his apprenticeship, and it took him a while to find somebody. It's it's a pretty serious deal. It's it's kind of an elite club right. of the people that are falconers, and they don't uh, they don't toss it around lightly. Yeah. It's not just anybody that comes up and says, "Hey, I want to do this." You know, you got to prove yourself. I was going to say it's it's a it's a big on taking for for you to be the apprentice, but you have to find someone willing to take willing to teach right, you take you that two wing. year process yeah. on for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's not nothing. And it's a and it's a lot to to do. So yeah, it's not for the uh, for the weak hearted. No, and, super and you know, I think again, it's something that looks really cool. Yeah, and and that get get gets people's attention. Um, find somebody that's a falconer and go out hunting with them. Most of them are 
are pretty, you know, if you say, Hey, I'm, I'm curious. Most of them will say, Hey, well, we're going out and be at my house at four 30 in the morning. We're going to go beat trees for squirrels. And, and well, you know, I, uh, I know a young girl that you just uh, made her heart explode. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we're going to do. That's right. way easier than yeah. bringing a, bringing it's, a bird home. It's, uh, you, you might realize <laughs> that the only way you can scratch that itch is that you've got to bring a bird home. Yeah. But, um, there are, there's a few falconry schools, not, not in South Carolina, but in the region, there are places you can go and kind of have experiences where they go fly birds and that's a little less hunting. I think it's a lot more real to find a local falconer yeah. and really go, yeah. you know, really that's, go hunt. Um, see if you can handle a red tailed hawk grabbing a squirrel by the head and yeah. all the things that come along <laughs> with that. It's, it's Well, she uh, knows what I do, so she's pretty comfortable. I mean, right. I don't. Our uh, our method of take isn't as metal as nature is, but <laughs> right. but I think she'd be able to handle right. it. She it's that that's a way easier answer than uh, how do we get into falcon. I'd much rather just go watch. Right. Go watch yeah. it first, yeah. right? And and then maybe you get into it, right? And then maybe you make that life commitment. We were touching on ospreys earlier, and they like most of them migrate, but there are any that stay year round locally. There are. Um, and just like there are bald eagles that spend the summer here in South Carolina, just not as many. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the key is, is there enough food for you? And is, the, is there any reason that you wouldn't go somewhere else? And with osprey, it's, are there enough fish in that top portion of the water yeah. column to support osprey? And, Makes sense. You know, anybody that fishes around here knows there's redfish in the top yeah. of the water everywhere all year long. Why yeah. would anybody go anywhere? Um, but most of the osprey do a few stick around. Do you think it's uh, ingrained in them to leave and some don't have that? Or just over time, they're like, hey, it turns out I don't have to leave. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's probably a little bit of both. That Certainly, migration is an instinct that most of them have. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? the come come fall, the, the days start getting shorter, wind starts blowing from the north, it's time to go. There's no question that most osprey get that built in. Are there some that you know, the code's wrong in their brain and they don't have the instinct. Sure. Probably that, that could be it. Um, some could maybe short stop here and kind of stick around. Um, we know that happens a lot, like birds coming from further North and get to South Carolina. We know they're stopping along the way anyway. And again, what's going to drive me to go further? Is it, you know, the, the frigid cold of South Carolina? (laughs) (laughs) What reason would I have to go further? Um, so it's probably a little bit of both of those. I things. bet you they, they're just like any other fishermen. They just fishing's good today. Yeah, and right. Then before we'll they realize around. it, instead of a few hours passing by, a few months, they're right. like, "Oh shit, right. I guess I'm, I'm still I here. Guess I'm staying here. I'm still here." And <laughs> and uh, their feet are like specifically made for holding on to fish. So right? they've got spicules, little spiky bumps all over the bottom of their feet, like sandpaper on their feet. Really cool. And then their toes are are a little different than most birds. Um, almost all birds have four toes and they're oriented in different ways, but osprey can actually change the orientation of their toes. So depending on if they're catching a fish or if they're carrying a fish, they can reorient whether their toes are facing Uh, forward or backward. I always thought they faced it because that's how they fly. Well, so they, when they fly, they fly with the fish facing forward. Forward, Yeah. Um, When they catch, it's probably three toes in front, one toe in the back, catch it, squeeze it, kill it. And then when they rotate it, maybe that's where they switch two toes in the front, two toes in the back to hold it. Like this, not all birds can do that. Yeah, uh, flop a toe around and, and yeah. change the orientation. It but, always looks fascinating when you see them. They look like like bombers flying uh, around, they're holding awesome. a bomb. And they're huge birds. <laughs> they really yeah, are. They're I mean, wingspan wise, osprey are, are giant. Yeah. Even when they're flying around within just you know within eyesight, right? You know, 30, 40, 50 feet above water, they don't. You don't realize how big they are until it hits the water, oh, yeah. and then it, you see its wingspan is just taken, see taken, it taken off. off out of the water, like, carrying Holy a, a fish. Cow, that's... that is what's what I found funny is is uh, 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 
like there's a lot of ducks and geese in the pond. It's like they they are perfectly aware that that particular bird is not interested in it. Right. <laughs> but when that when that bald, bald eagles come oh, looking yeah. around, Bloop. they scurry around and they, yeah. they it's it's weird that they know. It's it's I don't know. It's, it's amazing. We I I get to experience that on a daily basis with the birds that we train and and they know the difference between a turkey vulture and a bald eagle. Sure. Um, from which half most a mile people away, don't. Which most humans would look <laughs> and say, oh, that's that's a bald eagle. It, and no, it's if a turkey you see vulture. turkey vultures doing that the thermal ride, if you look way up, usually you'll see a bald eagle up there. Yep. A lot and of most times. people don't even notice it. Nope. Yeah. And and it, you know it's a minor enough difference but you think about it that that bird has an instinctual reason to know the difference right um if if i think that thing's not dangerous it flies in and kills me and eats me i don't get to reproduce and that same story that we talked about before the one that recognizes the predator um and so built in in these birds even though they may never have had an encounter with a bald eagle they certainly know um, and they can see well enough that even from however far away they're they're recognizing the, the 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 bird for what it is. Pretty awesome. What's your favorite micro kestrel? My favorite micro kestrel? Sorry, falcon. Micro falcon. I answered for you. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, so I do love an American kestrel. The the um, I love little birds. I like the again the kites and the uh, they're they're just they're kind of cool they're the they're like napoleons mm. american kestrels a male american kestrel is hard to beat in terms of beauty in terms of um, what they do their conservation story they're a species that's declining here and so raising awareness of american kestrels and and sort of their their coolness is is a big part of what we do merlins are pretty awesome too Merlin, yeah. um, merlins are step up from a kestrel and always picking a fight and and just sort of like the 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 chicken little in the fog horn leghorn yeah, cartoon yeah. remember yep. that guy that's like the merlin he's always looking for oh, the chicken or i'm a chicken hawk he was yeah he was a chicken yeah, that's hawk right and he was little and he was always like i'm gonna that's that's very much a merlin yep. just like i see you bald eagle way across the sky i'm gonna fly over there and 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 beat you up every um, time i see photography like that goes viral on a bald eagle there's usually something behind it that's yeah, just chasing just, him yeah yeah it's uh you know nobody likes the big thieving predator scavenger around and uh, <laughs> we actually we had a podcast earlier with somebody i won't say his name but he said that uh the american eagle is very american in that it's lazy it's a thief and it's it does right, all I, it's, I didn't say that right you right, didn't right, hear right. Me saying <laughs> right, that. right no you didn't but say that is, is the bald eagle a, a thieving scavenging um absolutely lazy the bird kleptoparasite <laughs> is the kleptoparasite kleptoparasite is what a bald eagle is okay it steals from the osprey and it's bad for the osprey when it happens so i was going to say one of one of my most uh exciting encounters i've ever had i was fishing and i i text him when it happened because he's the only person i think that would have b- believed what i'm going <laughs> to describe but i was fishing a pond on uh in virginia on fort belvoir was an army facility up there and i watched a bald eagle go in and grab a fish and then an osprey started like harassing it and it, right. it, it the eagle dropped the fish and the osprey dove down and caught the fish out of midair and took off with it it's usually the other way around. Maybe it, maybe it was the other way around. It's I, usually the osprey catches the fish. They're the best fishermen, right? And then the eagle is a little bigger and says, I maybe, I maybe that's what fish. happened. Which, whichever one, one of them caught the damn fish <laughs> out of the midair. And that's the part that impressed <laughs> the, the most. Part, right? Yeah, because I, I would have, ne- you, yeah, I don't know. It was wild to watch. But yeah, you're probably right. They're, it probably makes sense the other way around. They're just 
again, they're looking for the, the who let can him, blame them. Let looking, him do the work. Let right? him do the work. Yeah. I'll just come in. And, and it's not just bald eagles, just so that we're clear. There are thieves of all kinds out there. And, sure. and bald eagles have relatives all over the world. Um, the fish eagles, they're, um, they're fish eagles everywhere, basically. And what do fish eagles do? They beat up osprey and steal the fish from them. That's kind of <laughs> their thing. Um, and, and, uh, and, Osprey still seem to manage and catch enough fish and maybe even fight the eagle and take it back. You never know. The osprey is a formidable, yeah, yeah. You know, formidable it's bird. It's certainly not a small bird. No, no. <laughs> uh, really cool to, to see. Are golden eagles kind of the same? Golden eagles maybe not quite as as um, as thievy as bald eagles. They're, they scavenge a lot, and, and so we see a lot of lead problems with golden eagles as well. Um, but maybe not um, – more predator scavenger than predator scavenger thief than the bald eagle. And how much bigger, like a full grown? You know, depend on. So the biggest bald eagles in the world are the Alaskan bald eagles, and they're in the neighborhood of twelve pounds. So, Jeez. Um, compared to our ten pounders here for a big bald eagle in South Carolina, um, big golden eagle sixteen pounds, fifteen, wow. sixteen Holy pounds. Holy so bird! They're big birds. Golden eagles, man. They're. Um, I'm we, sure. have, we have a golden eagle in our education collection, mm-hmm. and she is a. Um, an intimidating, an intimidating animal when she wants to be, um, crushing power that yeah. is just, um, unbelievable and, you know, body size is huge. Um, are you, are you familiar with the, uh, the town in Alaska that has the golden, or I don't know if they still do, but had a problem with golden eagles and kids going to and from the bus stop? No. So they had a, a population is a fishing town, I believe, right. and that naturally attracting birds. And uh, these kids were walking to and from their, their homes in the village to the bus stop uh, and were getting harassed by golden eagles that were huh. coming down and knocking them down, trying to pick them up, right. these elementary school kids. <laughs> so parents had to start walking every day right. w- with these kids in a group to keep them. It's got to be a hungry jacked. eagle that, that looks at a kid as a potential I don't know why or what the reason was. I, it eventually stopped, I'm sure. That was, this I mean, was years ago. It's one of those things, too, that in Alaska they have a lot of bald eagles, and we get bald eagles, too. They hang out around the docks and, and yeah just like pelicans at shem creek you know that these pelicans hanging out around the shrimp boats why do they do that well because the shrimper throws stuff off yeah, the boat absolutely and the pelican's no dummy he's there for a, a free meal um, and the same happens with bald eagles around dumps and fishing areas and you know maybe they're just not as afraid of people as they as they should be yeah. um, can create issues certainly it's something that you know again we're in an era today where where bird of prey numbers are probably doing better on a whole than they were 50, 75 years ago when we were killing them all. And so we're seeing more of them and more likely to have interaction with them. And that's where we got to be prepared for what that interaction is going to look like and, and how we can make it as positive as possible. What's the eagle? They, it, I think it was Turkey where the, it pulls sheep off mountains and stuff. Golden eagles. That was yeah. a golden eagle. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. They're just, I mean. And, it's and, a massive animal. You know, it's not like they're killing the sheep. Yeah, fist to fist combat, right. but yeah, you know, just it's a cool throw them off a cliff, <laughs> drag it right off the Orcs, side of the mountain. Smarter, but, not harder. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. What's the oldest? Uh, like, has it changed much, bird? Like, I always imagine pelicans are pretty much what they looked like. Evolutionarily, the yeah, that's a, that's a great question that I don't have a good answer for. I'm not, I'm not prepared to answer who's the oldest group. What is the oldest group of birds evolutionarily? Oh yeah, figured I'd ask. Me out. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, always tough to jump in here. You know, there are some really primitive birds. The anhinga is one that we have around here, and um, the Watson, what, 
Watsons, I believe they're called. It starts with an H. They, they have primitive thumbs and they actually climb what? with their thumbs. Yeah, <laughs> when they're chicks. Um, so they're and, and then you get the other outliers like the the ratites, the ostrich, and the, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, those yeah. birds that are really weird. Um, I always forget those non-flighted, are birds. Non-flighted, <laughs> yeah. non-flighted birds. Um, but don't quote me on any of that for no, him. Yeah, He's yeah. the most evolutionarily old. I just it was just a thought off the top of my That's head. A good one. <laughs> that was a good one, man. Whew. What should someone do if they find an injured bird? <laughs> yeah. There we we'll go. We'll get back uh, to you. Uh, all right. that's, a, that's an easy one. So um, I think first thing to do would be to call us or call another qualified wildlife rehabilitator. Um, something that happens too frequently um, that's easy to avoid is you know people make a problem if there wasn't a problem there. Right? Yeah. This bird. This bird is on the ground in my yard, it's in trouble. Um, maybe, but not necessarily. So we want to make sure it's a problem first. So calling us is a good step in that. Um, if we're certain that there's a problem, um, obviously, you know, bird gets hit by a car, that's a problem. Bird is bleeding, that's a problem. And we need to capture the bird and get it to us for treatment. So get the bird into a cardboard box, put it in a quiet, dark place, cover it with a towel and get on the phone and call us. Uh, and we'll arrange for it to get to our medical facility in Ondal. Um, or if you're somewhere else listening to this podcast, podcast, you know, you're in Missouri somewhere, there are wildlife rehabilitators all around the country who are taking care of these injured birds. Get in touch with one of them uh, as soon as you can, and they can help you through the process. One of the other things people don't realize is, and or think about in the heat of the moment is that these birds, even when they're injured, still have powerful tools that they oh, can yeah. use to protect themselves against you. Sure. Uh, and you don't want to end up with extra holes in your body that you didn't start the day with. So <laughs> is that, so the quiet dark, is that just, does that make them think it's nighttime or something? They nighttime or just quiet and dark, you know, the, the, where they're not overstimulated stress. by sounds and I stressed gotcha. by noise and stressed by dogs barking. And we want to get them to a quiet, dark place, no food, no water. They don't need to eat. They don't need to drink. You just need to get them to the hospital yeah. as fast as they can, especially if they were involved in a trauma. If someone wanted to come work with birds of prey or volunteer, yeah. um, what would be the best route of that? So we have a volunteer staff at the center that does everything that our paid staff does from caring for injured birds in the avian medical clinic to working with birds in our educational programs. If you come uh, see our programs, you're going to meet our volunteers doing this work. Um, best way to learn about it would be our website, the center for birds of prey.org. Uh, there's a tab on there about volunteering. You can get on our mailing list. We are pretty, um, pretty serious about training. Uh, most of our volunteer work involves some, some skill that we have to provide. And so, um, we offer trainings generally about quarterly for new volunteer staff. Perfect. All right. I've asked a lot of questions, so I'm going to go ahead. No, where do you say? I was going to transfer over to, we've asked a lot. Yeah. I'm sure there's some stuff that you think people should know, like interesting facts people don't know, but also I got a bird. You too. got a bird. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we can't forget the bird. We should bring the bird out yeah. and then yeah. tell us, because I don't know what kind of bird it is yet. So I'm excited. Well, do you want to guess or do you want to, you want me to bring it out and then you figure out what it is? You Assuming I can figure it out. I'm not the okay. best, you but might, uh, though. you've been a visitor before. Hopefully she hasn't taken all our gear off in the box. <laughs> If I guess wrong, my wife's going to... But luckily, no one can see, so... Right. Oh, no, I do know what that is, but I can't think of the name. Oh, man. Um, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I have no idea what that <laughs> God, is. What a beautiful bird. She's pretty awesome. Um, so this is a crested caracara. Caracara, that's it. Uh, caracaras are really... Um, they're a really cool group of raptors. Um, 
unlike most, so most birds of prey, red-tailed hawks and barred owls and all the like, we kind of, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. They've got relatives around the world that are, um, that are similar to them. The, this is a group of birds that are only found in the new, new world. So you only find them in North and South America. And this is the only one found in North America, the crested caracara. Um, occasionally they end up here in South Carolina. We had a uh, a sighting back in 2015. I think there was a sighting uh, even more recently down near Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, when you look at them, um, if you had to guess, so we'll, we'll put the, t- the test out there. If you had to guess based on her features, which other group of birds of prey is she most like? So the birds of prey, the hawks, the owls, the falcons, the eagles, the vultures, the osprey, the kites. Um, this one is a close relative of one of those others. I would guess an eagle. You would guess an eagle based on what? The beak. So she does have a really long-looking beak, and sometimes these are called the Mexican eagles, okay. but they're not close relatives of the eagles. Okay. So it's what not an guess? eagle. Um, I'm going to say osprey. An osprey. So they don't eat – well, they will eat fish, but only if it's dead. Okay. And the osprey is unique. There's only one osprey, and he's not related to anybody else. So all Fair enough. All over the world. Not my an se- osprey. My second guess so, would be falcon because of the feathers. Falcon because of the feathers, and you'd be right there um, – these are falcons, but they're not falcons that act like falcons. So if I told you, if I gave you a little more information before you had answered, like I said, this bird has really long legs and they spend a lot of time walking around on the ground. And this bird has no feathers on its face. Um, it's bald mm. on its head. I would have right? said vulture. Then you would have said vulture, yeah. right? And behaviorally, they eat a lot of dead stuff. This is a bird we see scavenging beside the road. So they act like vultures. Um, they just, um, from an evolutionary standpoint, their their genetics are falcons. So the falcons are the high-speed divers, uh, but these birds, um, not a high-speed bird at all, but a really intelligent scavenger most of the time. That bald face is one of my favorite things about the caracara. Yeah. Um, it's a, a cleanliness tool, sure. obviously, right? You put your head in a carcass and that... Um, that bald face can help keep you clean. But it's also a communication tool. So it may happen while we're sitting here, but if we watched her closely over time, the color of her skin changes. So depending on what she's thinking, either her face is brightly colored or pale, and that is a communication tool that she can use to other caracaras to talk about whatever's going on inside her head. So what makes the beak that color? Is it a dark color underneath with like an enamel over top? So the beak is um, is keratin just like your fingers. So okay. It's, it's not enamel, but and, – and the dark is the color of that keratin. Some birds have really black beaks. Some birds have really clear beaks. Hers is kind of in between. She's got kind of a bluish uh, bluish colored beak. Um, there is bone under the, under the, um, the keratin sheath on the beak, um, but that bone is, is bone colored. She's so pretty. Yeah, she's an amazing bird. I'm, I'm curious about what she'll do with this microphone. What if I put Let her talk. Oh. <laughs> what is it? It's not food. So these are <laughs> of, the, of the birds we work with. <laughs> I, I've talked about how vultures were very intelligent. The caracara is also a really intelligent bird. Um, there, there's actually a book that just came out a year or so ago called A Most Remarkable Creature, I believe it's called, about caracaras. They're just, um, they're so unique and, and so different and, um, they're, Does they're her uh, really toupee amazing. stick up ever? Yeah, so the, the crested part of her name, this part of the feathering on the back of her head sometimes um, will stick up depending on – that's more body language that um, she's not um, displaying that right now. They've got a really cool call that they make too. Um, unfortunately, she's very unlikely to do that 
in, in here, but um, they throw their head back and they make this clucking sound. Oh, wow. um, lots of lots of body language type displays in the social birds of prey, which makes sense, right? If, yeah. you're, if you're not a social bird, you only need to find another of your species during breeding season. And so as long as you've got a call to call them, right? The barred owl is a great example. Right? Barred owls aren't real body language heavy. Barred owls are hoot- hooting heavy, right? right. They, and they communicate that way. This is a bird that's around other caracaras every day um, and needs to communicate other things. And so that body language, um, sure, she can vocalize, but she can also use her um, her ornaments to, if to we, look different. If we played like a YouTube Caracara call, would she respond? I don't know. You want to try I'm it? Sure, we can try. Does um, Do birds ever get like, like, will she just get feisty and just start biting for a uh, reason? I, I'm curious as to what she would do. Right now she's she's – Kind of in her, I'm in a place that I don't know, and so I'm going to be a little more reserved than I might be. Uh, this is a bird that was actually raised by hand. She's a, um, a human imprint, so she's um, – oh, you hear that? I heard it. Body language changed immediately. All right, a little bit of, little bit of hackles raised, looking around saying, where is that, where is that other caracara? Of course, it's a long video of right <laughs> with a call at the end. The first, oh, there it was. I'll start it over. Oh, wow! Oh, that's so cool. That'd be really cool if you would rattle back. I know, no pressure, no pressure. It's a podcast, <laughs> nobody can see you. <laughs> Uh, the visuals work so well on the, in this format. She's she's responding for sure. Just oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I think that she has has moved more in the last thirty seconds than in the minutes leading up. She's looking yeah. around the room, kind of wondering. I bet uh, she's about to poop on my pants. <laughs> That's all right. I think I caught it with my pants leg. That's wild. Yeah. What's that? That was rocking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was so crazy to see because she was 100% looking around there. Yeah. She's wondering where the other caracara is hiding in this room, I think, at this point. Uh, they're really amazing birds. What are the small feathers on the like the forefront of her face for? So she's got little whisker-like feathers all around her beak. Somebody was asking, are those hairs? And, and they're actually feathers. They're just really bristle. They're called bristles. Um, probably a sensory adaptation so she can feel her food as it's going into her mouth or um, when can she safely open her eyes. One thing they'll do, they'll close their eyes if they're eating or ripping their food. Um, And Mm. so maybe while they're eating and ripping with their eyes closed, (laughs) they can use that. um, (laughs) She thought about how delicious my finger might be as I was touching. Let me try it out. Yeah, you don't want to eat my finger. I'm sure they can bite super hard, but she wouldn't bite you really hard right there. If I don't give her a reason to bite me really hard, she won't bite me really hard. That's yeah. the way we look at it. Is If I were waving food around in front of her right now um, or taunting her and doing something she didn't like, she might bite me to make me stop. And uh, I don't want her to ever feel like she has to make me stop doing anything. I try to keep everything as positive as possible. Um, Sometimes they reach out and grab for no discernible reason. And uh, what I always tell people is the first thing I think when I get grabbed is what did I do wrong and for how sure. I make sure I don't do that again because mm-hmm. it really hurts. <laughs> um, and it's a, a breach of trust between me and this animal that I work really hard to build a relationship with. Um, this is a bird that does a 
really valuable job for us. It helps us teach and goes out and does programs all over the place, and that's asking a lot. I want to make sure that she's as comfortable and, and um, for lack of a more complicated term, as happy as she could be um, doing this job. How did you end up with her? Uh, she was actually bred by a colleague of ours, a, a friend of mine in the in the bird business, um, bred them in captivity for a few years. Captive breeding is a, a tool that can be used for for conservation, obviously, in, in examples like the, the California condor and the peregrine falcon, um, breeding these animals and releasing them into the wild. And it's also helpful ooh, in terms of education <laughs> oh, and your equipment's falling off. Um, it can help provide us with I'm animals free. like this one that we can use to teach with. So she was bred um, in Texas back in 2016, I want to say, um, and she came and joined our education team pretty shortly after we got her when she was about 10 weeks old. Um, and she's been doing this ever since. How long will they live? So they can live a really long time. Birds' potential life expectancy, you know, just general um, – Got lots of flapping and stomping going on here. Um, in general, the, the potential is in the neighborhood of, of 50, 60 years. We have really? birds in our educational collection that are approaching 50. Holy cow. Um, that said, there are wild birds out there even older than that. There's an albatross um, that nests in uh, the Pacific Ocean on Midway Atoll that has been consecutively nesting in the same spot for 70 years, 7-0. Right? Holy cow. There's this 70-year-old bird still reproducing. Wow. And that's pretty remarkable. How long do most of them live? Well, not nearly that long. The, um, the average life expectancy for a bird like this is probably two years or something like that. Really? Um, just because you think about being a bird, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got to make a living on your own at a very young age. You may be a migratory bird. You may have to fly you know, 4,000 kilometers to South America. That's not easy. Um, and then you add in all the human challenges, and sure. it's even harder. What does she do for fun? Just look around. <laughs> um, so this is a bird we train for flight demonstrations. Okay. So I think That's um, fun for she likes to dig. Um, what we try to do with our flight demonstrations is highlight the natural behaviors of these birds as best we can and, and kind of bring those natural behaviors close to people so that they can get we can get their attention. It really mm -hmm. makes our job a lot easier when we have somebody's attention. Um, one of the things that caracaras do naturally is they do a lot of digging and scraping and like rotten wood. They love rotten wood. They roadrunner stuff. Look for looking for looking for grubs and insects. Same as roadrunners would. Um, and so she digs a lot. We can bury rewards for her and she'll go around and oh, cool. you point to the ground and she'll dig up until she finds her reward. Um, they're pretty remarkable. In in the uh, book I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a story of a guy that trains one in the, in the UK, and it's a different species than this, but another caracara. And it actually recognizes uh, shapes and colors, and he can say, go pick up the green triangle, and the bird will go and wow. pick up the green triangle. Oh, they're, wow. Um, they're along the intelligence lines of the of the corvids, the crows and the jays. Um, Corpus Corax, common raven, smartest of all birds. That's from Ace Ventura. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All of us good bird nerds started with Ace Ventura. That's it. That's, that's, it. that's a, a great place to start. Is human skin oils like you don't want? I know people don't touch the birds, but it, does that do anything to? So their yeah, feathers? The, it may. You know, if, if I touched her feathers a lot, the oil on my hands might disrupt the the structure of the feather a lot of what feathers do is structural so the the little individual pieces of the feather are all stuck together like mm -hmm. little individual velcro enclosures uh, and my oil might 
affect that oil in general. Mm -hmm. um, that's another component of what we do. We have an oil spill response facility. So we, oh, she's going to rouse. That's one of my favorite things. Oh, that was cool. Where she put all our feathers yeah. back in place. Um, we treat birds her. after the event of an <laughs> oil spill. And one of the challenges there is that the oil, you know, not only makes you sick if you ingest it, but makes your feathers not work. Keep, it would keep them from being as waterproof as they need to be, yeah. um, which is pretty important. Um, when it rains, you need to keep your body dry or you get hypothermic pretty quick. Mm -hmm. so that makes sense. Uh, and the same is true for a bird. So she, what she just did there, she just, like aligned her feathers and yeah, placed them back Yeah, it's called rousing. So it would be like if you could think really hard in the morning and your hair goes into the perfect hairstyle. Oh, that's cool. Um, she can move those feathers. They're associated with muscles. We see a lot of, um, in the winter, birds puff up and, and sit with their feathers um, kind of inflated around their body, trapping air in there that they can use to keep warm. And what she did was just kind of put her feathers back into into alignment. Yeah, I saw that. That's what those broad shoulders. I saw that. I see them do that when it's raining. They'll just sit up there all puffed up right. with their heads squunched right. in. Right. I'm like, you're miserable. Yeah, miserable. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be up there. That's for sure. And so those towns, if you're not wearing that glove, she's ripping you apart. Um, not in per not on purpose. You know, yes. Her, these towns would probably scratch my hand if I had her on my ungloved hand. She's not squeezing with her talons right now. That's the real. The real power it's they're not like razors but they're really pointed and so they're they penetrate and yeah. and you know if she squeezed really hard right now it could probably go through this leather glove so if something scared her she could right puncture. If, if if she you know then if she went into food mode she might you know sometimes uh, our, our hawks when they're eating they'll squeeze with their feet because they're kind of in that mode that they would normally be killing something and so they've got a uh, got a grip or if they get startled or um, whatever it might be, if she was being aggressive, she might squeeze with her feet. It would be a, a cue that I would be alerted to pretty quickly when she did it, <laughs> right. that something's going on. Um, she's not giving me any real indication that she's nervous. She's just curious. She's just chilling. Just, she's pretty laid back, and, and there's a lot to take in, a lot of things she's never seen before. And, um, again, this bird's been on my on my press junket with me this week, so she's going um, – Going everywhere, and seeing everything. Seeing everything which, uh, <laughs> that's that's what this is all about. Oh, she's keyed in on something. Oh no, don't care anymore. Moving around. Just check it all out. Well, I know she's not light, so I'm gonna not gonna make you keep holding her. But uh, is there anything else people should know? Um, that they can come and visit us. I think yeah. that's something big. We'd, we'd love to have all of your listeners come and and um, see us at the center. Um, we do programs for the general public on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Uh, people can learn more by visiting our website, the Center for Birds of Prey .org. Um, If you're curious about birds, we got a lot of cool birds, and, and we like to talk about birds. Um, and I think another thing that people should know is, is how valuable their observations can be regarding birds. So you mentioned way back at the beginning that you report your swallowtail kite sightings. Um, I think if more sportsmen um, – turned into sportsmen slash naturalists and started reporting these things that they were seeing in the places where they were uh, resources like eBird, where you can, you know, keep a list of all the birds you see when you're in the deer stand and, and put that in. Um, that's valuable scientific data that, that people can utilize to help again, build these patterns to understand what's happening with our wildlife. Not, not just our, our game species, but the ones that we might see when we're out there looking for our game species. Um, you know, the, those observations can be important. Citizen science is a pretty powerful tool mm -hmm. when it comes to birds. Um, and, and, you know, we see them everywhere we go. Um, 
And I think a lot of your listeners are are the people that are seeing more of them than anybody else because they're outside. Yeah, right? certainly. If, if you're outside looking, um, who knows what you'll see. And you don't have to learn all birds. Like I didn't know, I mean, I know what a caracara is, but I couldn't put it together. But you should know the birds that are in your natural area. Right. And and there's not that many really. That's where you start, right? I mean, yeah. start with the birds that you see at your house every day. Get a get a field guide. This can be your, your off-season pursuit, right? Don't even need to put up a bird feeder. That's bonus. You get extra sure. if you put up a bird feeder. I'm not very good with bird feeders, so I don't have one. But I know all the birds in my backyard. I started with that. Or I know that I've not seen that one before. And then I know where to look. Uh, and, you know, you just start collecting those ones that you can quickly identify. Maybe it's the ones you see on your drive if you commute to work. It's the ones you see there. Maybe it's the ones you see in your deer stand. Um, there's a different set of birds there um, mm-hmm. than there are in your backyard. So, um, And then when you can start contributing that information, uh, that can be really helpful to those that are out there studying these birds on a daily basis. It's fascinating. Awesome stuff, man. Yeah. Steven, thank you for coming. Oh, it was a great pleasure. I yeah. appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's 100% going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much again, Len. Uh, good luck this weekend with all your uh, all your activities Thanks. and stuff you guys have going on. Yeah. See, we'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be busy for you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Till next time. All right. See y'all.